0: Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to open it now to the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, and we're going to look tonight at verses four through seven about what God did about the mess we are in, and it still is alive and applies today. There are two things he did. He sent forth his Son, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And both those two actions accomplish something that we will forever in eternity worship, adore, and stand in wonder of. People want to know, why do we Christians make such a big deal about Christmas? Well, tonight you're going to find out why we make such a big deal about Christmas, because without Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Without that, uh, we would be forever lost. He couldn't. He could not have gone to the cross. He could not have lived the life we should have lived. He couldn't have done any of it without the incarnation. And so that is the celebration of Christmas, the enfleshment of the second person of the Godhead who came and accomplished redemption for his people. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins he also saves us from the wrath of God that which we are grateful so here now the word of the Lord as we begin in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God what two basic things did God send his son accomplish for us first notice that the text says in verse 4 that when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law look at verse 5 to redeem those who were under the law first he wanted to he, he accomplished redemption for those who are under the law what in the world does it mean to say that we were under the law well verse this verse is telling us that Jesus has removed all liability penalty or debt paul uses the word under and it is a loaded term it connotes that we are first under it legally that is we are obligated to be righteous before god or we are lost But when we are under it spiritually, we are also under the law, not just legally, objectively, culpably for breaking it and violating it. The law is God's will for our life. Uh, Think of the Ten Commandments. Think of the law of God. The moral law of God stands over us, and we must have perfect, personal, uh, perpetual obedience to that law. But Christ... Entered in and redeemed us from being under the law. Let me explain that even more. We are also under the law spiritually, in that our hearts are helplessly fixated in trying to fulfill it in order to win God's favor. We want to work out some way we can negotiate a relationship with God through some kind of obedience and win His favor and win His approval. And our hearts are helplessly fixated on that. Might as well face it, we're addicted to law. We just are. Every single person in this room is addicted to law and it is a burden. It is an insatiable standard. It is impossible to satisfy. So in a sense, we belong to the law. We are under its mastery. It is a tyrant in the hands of sin. The law in the hands of the Spirit is life. The law in the hands of sin and the power of sin is tyranny. Paul tells us that Jesus was born of a woman. He's speaking here of the virginal conception and birth of Christ. He became a real human being, but Paul immediately adds after that in verse 4, he was also born under law. The reason... Paul brings up Jesus' human incarnation here is to assert that he was born, as all human beings are, in a state of obligation to keep God's law. But Jesus completely redeems those under the law. It's exactly the same word he uses in chapter 3 when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so a criminal, anyone cursed by God, God turns his back on that person. And that person is hung on a tree outside the camp to demonstrate that they have been cursed. So Christ redeemed us not only by going to the cross, bearing our sin outside the city on Golgotha's hill, and he received the wrath of God on our behalf. He was cursed. The Father turned away from his Son in order to curse our sin in him. But that isn't all Jesus did. When when, uh the Bible uses the word redeem. It means to release a slave from his or her owner by paying the slave's full price. Here the slave master is clearly the law. Jesus releases us from it uh, paying for us the the full price. Jesus pays our full price to the law. That means it must mean that Jesus completely fulfills what the law demands on us. Jesus has fulfilled anything and everything we owe, and there's nothing left to do or to pay. Second, as a result, Jesus procures for us the full rights of sons. We are adopted as sons. Literally through Christ we receive the, the sonship. Uh, And that is a legal term. It refers to the Greco-Roman world, not to the Jewish, Greco-Roman legal process in which a childless wealthy man could take one of his servants and adopt him. And when that occurred, he ceased to be a slave and received all the financial and legal privileges within the estate and outside in the world as the son of the heir. Though by birth and nature he's a slave without a relationship with the father, he now receives the legal status of son. It is a remarkable metaphor. The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All his old debts are totally canceled. And in effect, the adoptee starts a new life as part of his new family. On the one hand, the new father owned all the new offspring's property, controlled his personal relationships, and had the rights of discipline. On the other hand, the father was liable for the actions of the adoptee and each of the other reciprocal duties of maintenance and support. How are these two things coming together? Freedom from liability and rights as son. They are simply two sides of the same coin. You realize how it was accomplished with our record being legally transferred to Jesus and his record being transferred to us. Then we see that they must come together in order to remove our legal status as sinners, deserving condemnation. He gives us legal status as sons deserving great wealth and honor. They come through him, and only together do they give us a complete picture of what Christ has accomplished for us. It's very easy for us to think in terms of our salvation only on the first and not the second, only as a transfer off of our sins, but not as the transfer on us of rights and privileges. We tend to think that Christ has only gone to the cross and pardoned us and removed our legal liability. But when we do that, we're really only about half saved by grace. We can get pardoned, but now we have to live a good life and earn and maintain God's favor and rewards. For a large part of my Christian life, I lived under this misunderstanding. I understood that Christ bore my sins and took the wrath of God on my behalf, but then it was up to me to live a life, now that I had been saved, that would be pleasing to God. I would try to honor Him in every way. And somehow, by being more obedient and growing in the faith, I would eventually get to the place where I sensed I had some sort of approval and that God was pleased with me. And I never, ever got it. And I had what was called the prodigal suspicion. Every time I sinned and returned back to the Father, I was afraid he was going to judge me over and over again because I didn't realize the privileges I had of being in union with Christ. But here are the privileges. The text shows us not only did Christ remove the curse that we deserved, but he gives us the blessings he deserved. God's honor and reward is just as secure and guaranteed as our pardon. To use another image, Jesus' salvation is not like receiving a pardon and release from death row and prison. Then we'd be free, free enough. But on, uh, on our own, Jesus has also put on us the Congressional Medal of Honor. We are received and welcomed as heroes, as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. Unless we remember this, we will be filled with anxiety, despairing when we sin and fail, thinking, how could God have any more to do me? He must be so disappointed with me. Even as a Christian, I see that I fail. I see that I sin. I despise it, but I see it. And, and uh, I, I find myself trying to find acceptance based on my record, but that is not the case. When a son becomes an heir, that inheritance is guaranteed. It is not a prize to be won. It is his, and so is our salvation. You remember when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3. That uh, John the Baptist baptized him, and the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit as a dove, came upon him to equip him for ministry, but a voice came out of heaven, saying, "This is my what, beloved son, in him I am what? well pleased." Once we, by God's grace, turn away from everything we've ever done to try to save ourselves, everything we've tried to do to put God in debt to us, to make Him like us or love us or approve of us or give us favor, once we stop all that nonsense and we turn away from that and we turn to Christ, then God, by faith, unites us to His Son. We are in union with Him. And when God looks at me He looks at me through the lenses of His Son, and He sees the beautiful righteousness of His Son. Hallelujah! That's how God regards me. You say that's too good to be true. That's what grace is. That's what the gospel is. And that's what the truth is. Otherwise, we have no hope. You can't go five seconds without sinning. I don't know if you know that, but you can't. And the wonderful good news of the gospel, the most liberating thing in the world, is to hear my Father say to me, because you are in union with my Son by faith, you have stopped trusting in yourself, you're looking outside of yourself and laying hold of Him and clinging to Him by faith, by grace, I am well pleased with you every day, all the time, well pleased with you. Now that doesn't mean that God, as our Father doesn't discipline his adopted children he does but what i want you to understand if you don't have that anchor in your life if you are not living under the benefits of what it means to be in jesus christ then your life is going to suffer with uh, incredible anxiety so uh, man i could go on for two hours but i better not that's why i started the service at five so i could preach two hours but I'm hungry, so I'm not going to do that. All right. As my dad said, I was born hungry and never got over it. The two basic categories or rights of sonship are the following. First, intimacy of relationship. We cry out, Paul tells us, because the Spirit has been sent forth and penetrated our being and dwells in us. He causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Papa, as it were, a term of endearment, the most close term of endearment between a parent and a child. And the second privilege is authority over possessions. As a son, then we are heirs together with Christ. The only reason a servant would ever be adopted as a son would be because the father had no heir. Therefore, the person is Paul's illustration in paul's illustration has legal title to all the father's estate as if and only begotten with little reflection we can draw some of the implications of that truth quickly number one we have an intimacy of relationship there's an assurance and security in his love for us just as a child does not worry about getting fired for disobeying the rules, just as a child knows that if anything, a father's heart goes out more to a troubled child, not less. So we know that God's affection for us is deep and never based upon our performance. That is the hardest thing in the world to believe. That is the hardest thing in the world to believe that God could love me like that. But I believe it. And the more I believe it, the more I want to serve him. The more the gratitude wells up in me, the more I want to be an obedient child. Why? Because I know I'm accepted in the beloved. I know that I have a relationship with him that is of the deepest security and assurance. I have access to God in prayer. Christ has won for us the nearness of God. We can speak to him with intimacy and we can experience access to his presence and his heart in prayer. We have authority of possessions. There is a confidence in boldness. We do not walk in fear of anyone or anything for our father owns the place. God will honor us as he has honored his only begotten son. Thus we live with our heads held high. Christians also have a new authority over sin and the devil. And we will see that worked out more and more as we think about Scripture. But our sonship removes the fear that is at the root of a great deal of our disobedience. And then there's a guarantee that we will share God's glory. J.I. Packer says the following, The doctrine of our adoption tells us the sum and substance of our promised inheritance is a share in the glory of Christ. We shall be made like our elder brother at every point, And sin and mortality, the double corruption of God's good work in the moral and spiritual spheres respectively, will be things of the past. Co-heirs with Christ that we may also share his glory. Now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know this, when he appears, we shall be like him. The astonishing bottom line of sonship is that God now treats us as if we have done everything Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus actively obeyed and submitted himself to the law from birth and rendered perfect, perpetual, personal obedience for everyone who will ever trust in him. And by virtue of doing that, he's guaranteed our adoption. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John, said the following, Father, let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me father. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That's all implied in the very use of the word Abba. The use of a term has a strong reference to Christ. Why would Paul use an Aramaic idiomatic phrase in a letter to Greek-speaking Galatians who probably don't know Aramaic? That is why Paul includes a Greek translation of the word, writing, Abba, Father. The significance of the word is that Christ used it when he talked to his Father. It was a daringly familiar term that Jesus used to draw near the living God. And when Paul says we should use it, he is vividly asserting for us that we have legally inherited the rights of Jesus himself. We can approach God as if we were beautiful and faithful and heroic as Jesus himself we are joint heirs with him now we look like him to the father what a glorious thing we are talking about at this moment what a glorious thing I had a friend who uh, was very good friends with a Jewish family and uh, he, w- he was visiting their home when the uh, the boy was about four or five years old greg labelle at the top of the stairs and he tumbled and he fell all the way down the scare uh, you hear greg labelle where are you there you are this little boy fell all the way down the stairs and every time he hit a stair he said abba 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 and my friend said it sent chills up and down his spine why because he was calling his daddy that's the kind of intimacy the dear sweetness we have with the Father because of what the Son has accomplished for us. We can pray with such freedom now. We don't have to pray rote or we don't have to critique our prayers. We can just pour out our souls before him. There is such liberty. So God has sent forth his Son and he has also sent forth God the Spirit. We have seen that the Son's purpose was to secure for us the legal status of Sonship. By contrast, we see the Spirit's purpose is to secure for us the actual experience of Sonship. Not like the work of the Son. The work of the Son brings us objective, legal condition that we can claim whether we feel like it or not. But the work of the Spirit is not like that at all. The Spirit brings us a radically subjective experience, and its marks are amazing. Paul tells us that the Spirit leads us to call out, cry out, Abba, with a loud cry, with passion and feeling. Second, the calls out refers to our prayer life. Just as a child does not prepare speeches for his mother or father, so Christians experiencing the work of the Spirit find spontaneity in prayer. Third, calls out connotes a sense of God's real presence. Just as a child calls out automatically to a dad nearby, When there's a problem or a question, so Christians experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit feel a nearness, a remarkable reality to God. Fourth, Abba means a confidence of love and assurance and welcome. In summary, the work of the Son is done externally to us and is something we can have without feeling. But the work of the Spirit is done internally in us and consist of being completely moved intellectually, emotionally, volitionally by the love of the father. The fullness of the spirit cannot then really be claimed, it is an experience. So when we think about that, the spirit works in us because of the work of of the son. In other words, the profound experience is based on the objective truth Practically speaking, it means we should not just sit and ask God to send us an experience of his assurance, assurance, but we can live out of it daily. So, this is the wonderful gift of Christmas. The second person of the Godhead came and was united with the likeness of human sinful flesh. He sanctified it by being united to it and rendered for us an obedience that wins God's total approval and he gives that to me justification by faith alone is the declaration by God that all my sins are forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus God has taken out of Jesus's hide what he should have taken out of my hide and now I hide in him But he's also given me the sweet, beautiful, glorious righteousness of Christ. Which provides me such freedom and liberty. No wonder Christians get so excited about Christmas. Because it means everything to us. It means everything to us. As you celebrate this season, think about God sending forth his son. To accomplish your redemption, and God sending forth His Spirit to make that redemption real for you. That's why we call the gospel good news. Anything else is bad news. Anybody else that tells you you have to live up to the standards to get God's approval, that's bad news. That's the worst news because you can't do it, and neither can I. If I tried with all of my heart for the rest of the time I have here, there's enough to damn me already. But the beautiful, liberating truth of Christianity is the gospel is the best good news you will ever hear. You think about that. And as God works in your life, call out to him and ask him, Save me, Lord. Save me. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. Grant to me the gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when you have that, you're not afraid of anything or anybody. You drop dead tonight. You're in the presence of Jesus. You're in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because you have his righteousness. Your judgment is over. It's already happened in the body of Christ. What freedom we have in Jesus. And what an intimate relationship we have with the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we have thought a lot about and considered the beauty of the Incarnation and we thank you for that glorious truth, and we pray that you would cause us not only to think about what we've heard, but respond to what we've heard. For some of us, that will just be worship. We will be caught up in wonder, love, and praise, and we pray for some of us. It might mean the first time we've ever turned to look at you and say, Lord, I don't know you, and I want to know you, and I want to have a relationship with you. Would you open my eyes to see the truth, and would you show me Jesus and all of his beauty and glory? Now, fathers, we continue to worship. We pray your spirit will bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.